the other day. So Paul, when he writes to the Galatians, right? What did Paul mean when he wrote it? What was the context of that letter? And what did the Galatians hear when they heard it? That is the inspired conversation. Welcome to the Belfast Podcast, the podcast dedicated to those deconstructing and reconstructing their faith. I'm your host, Luke Byler, here with Dimitri Lash. What's up? And since last podcast, we talked about uh, we were going to be roommates soon. Well, we now are roommates. We are. Six months later. Yeah. It really happened. Well, we haven't recorded in at least two months. So Two months? I think it's been two months. Man, I think it's been more like six. No, 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 no. I don't know. Uh, Time all runs together now, you know? Yep. I mean, it's August already. I don't think we recorded until like back in like March or something. I'd have to check, but it's been a long time. I yeah, I don't know for sure. Um, but yeah, it's been a long time. A lot of things have happened <laughs> since then. Almost too many uh, things, arguably. Yes, too many things. Too many things to cover in one episode. Um. Uh, yeah. I mean, Corona is still going on. Um, we saw the murder of George Floyd and then the protest, um, that came out of that. And then the riots that came out of that and got usurped by some bad people. Uh, we saw Chaz come and go in Seattle in the matter of a couple of months. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's been a lot and too much too much to say too much to say too much so i don't do you want to pick a topic and we'll jump right on in i don't know you know i don't know where you want to start well i mean i do feel at least some level of responsibility to say something about all that and i guess what i would say um as far as how you know we've interacted since then we haven't made a lot of public displays about all of it um mostly because we feel that to be a weak form of uh what would you call it a weak form of engagement um engagement i mean to a point it's 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 a weak point of ministry um yeah i don't know i feel like especially for me I think all these athletes, I think all of these celebrities, all of these people in 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 positions of power, I, I'm glad to see that there's a lot of engagement and interaction. And, and to the credit, I think, you know, if you're put in those positions where you have a following, it's important that you speak up and you say something to influence your following to do good. I mean, you know in terms of the apostles, I mean, that's basically what they were doing. They were given a platform in which to speak and they did so by preaching the gospel and not by advancing their own personal gains or, you know, financially, they didn't abuse that power. They really used that to, you know, advance the gospel. And in the same way, I think these celebrities, I think these athletes, I think these people in high positions are are doing a good job. Um, and it's it's hard because I don't feel that same strain to need to post or to publicly put out some sort of image that I'm concerned about. I think I think you don't want a virtue signal. I, no, else. I don't want to to overstate, you know, how much things affect me to the point where like I'm angry enough that I need to just consistently post about it. Yeah. That's one of my big problems I have with, you know, a lot of these people is like, you know, I I don't know. It's, it's just a really tricky subject because I think a lot of them have a heart for social justice and have a lot of heart for, for people who are oppressed. And I think as Christians, we're called to have that. Of course. Um, but also I don't want to be the person, you know, and I've said this, I just, I, don't want to be the person that just wakes up, checks Twitter, checks Instagram, and is just angry about something new the next day. Um, 
So really this time for me personally has just been really self-reflective to Mm -hmm. see is there things in my life that I am taking care of or that needs more needs more attention in my life, especially with the George Floyd stuff, you know, um, I work, you know, at a business where we have a lot of African-Americans, you know, coming in and out. And I, you know, we have black friends and we have, um, I mean, I interact with, with people of minorities daily. So it's, you know, it's self-reflective to say, you know, even if I'm not actively racist, are there prejudices I hold? Are there things in my heart that, you know, conflict me from time to time when it comes to issues of race or oppression or things of that nature? And those are times to self-reflect, but then to also just be available. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of these people, I don't want to just be the guy who's posting and then to have a, a, a real conversation with someone of color or a minority in any way to not be available to them. Um, and through that, I think, I think, you know, we have friends that, you know, I've just tried to, to make sure that, that they're okay to make sure that they have, you know, room to, to grieve. And I think that was my biggest thing is that, you know, at the beginning of this, the coronavirus and, and then the George Floyd, and then all of the kind of the social unrest with the protests and now coronavirus is spiking again, you know, no one really wants to just I think everyone wants to have this like tight knit grip on control when really I think if we all just grieved with one another, you know, we would really find better understanding than just consistently posting graphs and charts and more videos of police brutality. And and instead of, you know, putting more anger on the forefront, I think if we all just like kind of, you know, honestly came together and, and in the layman's terms, just you know, this is really sad mm-hmm. and it's going to take more than just us posting about it. It really needs to come down to personally coming, you know, together on a personal basis, me as a person, individual people as a person, not taking, you know, I think protesters is really easy if you're not one protesting to either say what they're doing is justified. If you support the cause, or to say all this looting and rioting, like it's irresponsible. And I think, you know, you just throw all of the protesters for this Black Lives Matter movement into one category when really you're dealing with however many millions of individual people with mm-hmm. their own individual stories. Yeah. Because that's what. And ha- it's, and here's, an, I heard this a while back and I've been thinking about it quite a bit. It's, uh, I think it's hard to, it's hard to care for people. You can only really care about individuals. Yeah. So then that's been, I guess, to sum up a lot of what you're saying, and I agree, is that's been our big focus during this time is like, look, we care about what's going on. We, as followers of Jesus, we care about those who are um, oppressed. We care about the marginalized and we care about um, how to bring reconciliation to all of that. And part of that, like, like you kept saying when we have these conversations is, man, like, I think part of it is we just need to learn how to mourn together. Yeah. And that was like, we took time to really do that. And I didn't feel the need to post about any of that on social. I didn't feel the need to virtue signal about things that I was doing during that time to help out um, where I could. And cause it's like, what, why? Like I'm why? Like, it's not, I don't think that, that it was at least. And in my view, I was like, look, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Like, let me live with that conviction and do what I feel like I need to do. But not everybody needs to know what I'm doing. No. And, and that's, you know, I, I really think that's and not everybody needs. Sorry, but like not everybody needs to be in these conversations. No, because these conversations between me and you, they're between me and Will. Like we had me, Will, Bryce and Brayden had a big, a big conversation about a bunch of political stuff going on. and. It basically got down to like, we agree with a lot of the uh, sentiments that are going around and a lot of the like plights that are being um, highlighted, but the ideology behind a lot of them, I can't get behind, but those are two separate issues, right? Um, But to be able to have that kind of discussion 
has to be had in the small group, has to be had where there's trust, has to be had where you can actually have a conversation and be willing to be wrong and then be willing to say, okay, maybe we can look at it this way or that way or whatever. And we've had those conversations through all this and no need no need to virtue signal about it because that's what I saw a lot of it as. Yeah, and in... Especially with the people that we know where we live, it was like, okay. Right, well. and and to preface, I mean, to go back, I don't know if we've explained this, but we live in, in you know, suburban Kansas City, Missouri and the Kansas City metro, uh, very much a suburban town. Um, yeah, we're like 30 minutes, 20, 20, 30 minutes from down. From, from downtown, downtown to Plaza where all these protests are happening. Um, and just personally growing up in this area, it it's definitely a bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, the way the Kansas City Metro is kind of separated out is you have these like clumps, but then they're separated by probably like 15 minutes each of yeah. just highways. So you really, when you're in your community, you're just kind of in your community. Yeah. Um, and you don't really have to leave it. Um, and I'm sure it's like that, you know, a lot of other places as well. But but certainly the people we know are people that probably haven't experienced you know the sting of racism in the way that they are putting forth the vocality that they have mm-hmm. um and i think it's it's really smart i mean race and inequality and oppression on all spectrums of what minorities are you know whether that be gender sexuality um race you know yet language whatever that is those are really important conversations to be having and that has really been brought up in the forefront of all of these protests and the people who need to be having those conversations need to be having those conversations but that doesn't mean everyone needs to be throwing their voices into that conversation because it really it just kind of oversaturates the conversation and it really brings to a point kind of what we're saying is that, you know, then I can't deal with people on an individual level. Yeah. Then it, then, yeah. And I think the trouble with everybody having a platform and everybody is like, things just get parodied. It was like, we'd sit there and we'd be like, dude, people are posting the same three things from the same three, like, like things about whatever and it's like well and schultz brought this up in one of his videos if if you guys haven't seen andrew schultz uh comedy slash commentary on like what's going on just youtube and it's fantastic but he brought up uh in one of his videos he was like look we've created a great platforms for like to give out information and not to actually have dialogue about things yeah right? and that's why like I love podcasts or YouTube because like you are able to have more of that dialogue. And like we've been saying, like me and you have been saying like me and Will and Bryce and all of us were saying the other night, it's like, yeah, there are very apparent things going on here, but also what's underneath a lot of it is very complicated. Mm -hmm. And to say that it's just one thing that causes everything is very disingenuous and just not smart. So that's been a lot of what I've been trying to get at with my own thoughts about it. And my thoughts have changed. Like that's the reason we do this podcast is, and we're in a political, politically commentative podcast, but I felt like we should at least say something um, in the sense that like we're working through it ourselves and, um, and I'm figuring out what I think about it. And, this isn't the place for me to give my nuanced opinions, at least not in this episode. And so, yeah, that's not necessary right now, but my, my thoughts have changed. I've been open to change them. And through all the, I guess through all the conversations I've been having during this time, they have changed um, in some ways and they've remained the same in other ways. And I just feel blessed to have people around me where I can have those conversations and where we can work through it and not a single issue manner, but in a, complex way because it is and i think the trouble with all everybody posting just snips on instagram or like you said like charts and all that stuff is just like it boils it down to a single issue and if and if everything boils down to one issue then like it's just not 
it's just not real. Yeah, and part of the issue, I think, is I think we are at a place where you have to care about everything equally. And, you know, you wake up one day and it's it's George Floyd. And then the next day it's, you know, the next man of color who's been shot by the police. And then it's the next day it's, well, there's women in Turkey that are being, you know, you know, abducted. Yeah, and, and then it's child trafficking. And then and it's child trafficking. Which all these are and now horrendous it's the, things. And now it's the explosion in Beirut. Yeah. And now it's you know, the election in 2020 and you wake up and, and my thing is to, you know, I just, a lot of people are just waking up angry and yeah. they're just, and I just don't understand, like you can't be happy that way. And there's no way to find Christ in any of that if you're just angry. And, you know, it it really reminds me of how social justice and on the scale of like all that information it, and this is, you know, kind of a a parallel I've made, but it's kind of how I view people who are really good at math and who pursue careers in it and who are very smart. You have these people, it's like social justice, where people who are really good at math do really important things. They're engineers, they're scientists, they're educators. There's, there's, thousands upon thousands upon millions of people who have dedicated their life to math and it's really important they do amazing things i mean engineers you know run the world you can't drive your car you can't you know get your food to your table you can't there's not a lot of things that you know don't include math but on the same level there's a lot of people that just don't understand it and I think if you ask someone who's really into math, they're not going to understand, like they, they understand the importance of what they're doing, but they don't understand that other people don't understand the importance of what they're doing mm -hmm. or appreciate it to the level at which they appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And it's the same way with social justice. Social justice is really important. And it is, it, it is encoded into the fiber of how we deal with people on individual levels and as groups as a whole. And it's really, really important, but it's really frustrating for people who don't, who are a part of that social justice movement, who are then waiting for people who don't have that kind of passion and vigor for social justice that they have to kind of like catch up. Mm-hmm. And I think it like, and that's just part of the thing is, is like, it takes patience. It takes really, because the thing is like, these people want people to step outside of themselves. And yet it's, it's the same problem for them. Like you're, you're not stepping outside of yourself, mm -hmm. put it into the shoes of someone who hasn't experienced racism before. They're not going to understand one off. Mm -hmm. Um, they're not going to understand, but if they have conversations with people on a one-on-one -on -one level, they might, but that's the kind of patience you have to have. You can't just post something on Instagram and expect everyone to agree with it and get it the first try. Yeah. No matter how true it is. Yeah. And that's like what you've been saying. I, I agree. And I think the analogy fits and that's where I think it's tough because you get this whole, um, group identity narrative, which doesn't help very much because then it doesn't help deal with things individually. So then either if you're on the oppressor or the oppressed side, you're automatically there because you can fall into any of the, you can fall into one of those categories, no matter what group you're in. Exactly. So it's like, yeah, just labeling it per group is not helpful. And I think like, yeah, again, the idea of like, I'm trying to care for the individuals in my life and the individuals that I know and the individuals who are affected, um, in ways that I feel like were actually helpful. I, I mean, and think about this as a as a Christian culture. We have the binding force of the gospel and the Trinity to guide us through these conversations, and as a whole, kind of bind our thought process and our 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 message together. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is like, I mean, 
you want to quote Dave Chappelle on yeah. a on a Christian podcast, but when he likens safe space, yeah, when he likens the LGBTQ move, movement to a car ride, and he's like, we oh, want to yeah. think it's, it's hilarious. The, we want to think it's the same movement. It's not the same movement. They're just all riding in the same car. Yeah, it's the same way. Like, there's a lot of these movements where some of them end up getting pitted against each other. Yeah. And there's not a consistent theme because oppression for one person means equality for another, you know, and, and yeah. yet there's just a lot of confusing kind of things. And so I think as the Christian, you know, as the Christian church in America and worldwide, we really have to nail down. These are the things that we are about. Mm hmm. And this is why. And then beyond that, yes, we can have important conversations about real nitpicky things that have to do with those arguments. But really, it needs to bind with the fact that we have the gospel, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, and we've been given, you know, the way to live through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit through the apostles and all the letters and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. And really, like, Bind that all together and then walk together in that. That's how unity works. And the problem is, is I think, you know, we've talked about this before, but there's a lot of loyalty when it comes to churches. Yeah. Especially in Kansas City. I was talking to uh, a friend of mine and he pastors in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to him about it. I was like, you know, in Kansas City, the churches are very snipey at one another. Yeah, they're very much club mentality. It is very much like a like a sports team. Like this is my team. This I'm facing your team. Yeah. We're gonna beat you. You know, this is what we do better than you. You know, this is what you think you do better than us. All that kind of stuff. It happens all the time, and it's in dialogue. You know, this is you teach it this way, and that's not how you know I like to do it. All that sort of stuff. And I was talking to this guy. In San Francisco, and he goes, I have the privilege of working in ministry in a culture in Silicon Valley in San Francisco where there's a lot of smart people, a lot of highly educated people, but he's like, it's a, it's a mostly progressive post-Christian culture. Mm -hmm. So he said the, the structure of how churches work there is that it's like, we'll share pastors, we'll share events, we'll work together to do you know, city projects to do missions work, all this kind of stuff. We're constantly in contact with one another because we realize if we're not going to work together, this, t this city will tear us apart. Yeah. And unfortunately in Kansas city, you know, we're at the, you know, probably if you wanted to call it the Bible belt, it's like the very Northern tip of it. Yeah. But he, you know, made the point, he's like, you know, in Kansas city, you'd be hard pressed to find someone who outright will say they don't believe in God, you know? Yeah. And it's a, I mean, and as the Kansas City Metro works, there's a lot of suburbs. There's a lot of, I mean, there's not a lot of minorities everywhere, you know, in these suburbs. It least, isn't as urban. It's not as urban. So you have a lot of these, you know, nuclear families yeah. who go to church on Sunday mornings. And it's just, it's, it's kind of ingrained in how you are to be religious in mm -hmm. one sense of the word or another. So it really like gave me hope, but it also made me feel really conflicted about how the Kansas city church works. Yeah. If that's how we're going to approach it, which it, it, it sometimes seems like that is the case where it's like, all right, so you have to pick a church because this is the church that checks all your boxes. This is your team. This is your team yep. now. Yep. And it's, and, un it's unfortunate. It really is. Yeah. Especially, but it gives me hope that, I mean, we've talked about it a lot, but it gives me hope that now I, I have heard of a community of churches in a place like San Francisco that's rather progressive, probably one of the more progressive places in America that is actually actively living out the body of Christ throughout the entire community and not just in a four-walled building. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and with, with that idea of church and with, you know, just what's going on socially, I've been, as I... As I've, we've been talking about, um, like Christ did something that was, and if we're talking about the gospel, like Christ did something that was very individual and very collective. 
And that's been part of the story of the whole Bible, right? He started with Abram, who was a faithful man, someone he could partner with. And he said, all right, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you a collective, uh, like you're going to fulfill the priesthood to all the other nations as a people and as individuals. And I think that that tension um, needs to be explored more. Um, and so that's I, I've been wrestling with that a lot just in terms of the narrative of my faith and um, socially and how all of that works out. Um, but I think ultimately to kind of wrap this discussion up, um, the uh, one of the rules that I like that I've been trying to live by, especially recently is uh, set your house in order before you criticize the world. Yep. And I've, I've very much been trying to do that in literally setting my house in order when we moved in together and still doing that. Um, and not just, physically in my room, but like, how do we live all together as roommates? Um, and then as well, um, how do I organize myself? Not just so that I can feel good about how my life's organized, but so that I can actually invite people in to a space mm. where it is organized and I know how to use certain things and I know what tools are useful. And then so I can be useful for other people. Mm. Yeah. It's continued conversations that need to happen. Um, a lot has been done. I don't, you know, it's tough to say what the rest of 2020 will look like, you know, because now there, there's a lot more COVID cases. People are having to go back to school, back to work, but now there's been stay at home orders. You were, were you the one who was telling me reading that off that list about states who are doing more stay at home orders? They were lists of the CDC released 10 states that they said should go back to immediate stay-at-home orders. Uh, Missouri and Kansas were not one of them, mm-hmm. uh, or two of them, should I say. Uh, they were mostly states like Alabama, Florida, Texas, um, Georgia, places where they have a lot of beaches. Yeah, because a lot of people are now thinking and that it's safe touristy to go, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. touristy that they can go on vacations now. People don't make tourist trips to Missouri and Kansas City. No, exactly. Um, but okay, and it's it is weird. I mean, to talk about the bubble we live in, Kansas City has not been, to my knowledge, afflicted in the same way that a lot of major cities have been afflicted with coronavirus. So that's also been a thing. You like, you know. Yeah, and Sky talked about that a while back on the Holy Post, where he was like, if you live in a more Midwestern city, then you aren't going to see the cause for concern as much as if right. you live in a big city for the virus. So when when this all broke out, I used to live, you know, in a in a neighborhood that's a suburb of a suburb of a suburb in <laughs> Kansas City, where I mean, you're talking about New York, San Francisco, L.A. Uh, all these beach communities with hotels, um, all these people in close proximity on the beach, all these things. And, and they were like, these are going to, you know, this is how the virus spreads and stuff. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, my front door is 30, 40 yards from the next nearest front door of another house. And our yeah. front yards are separated, you know, 15 yards a piece driveway like you have to really try to interact with your neighbors to get really close to them and so it which was is like, some on some parts sad but yeah which is some parts sad but also i mean part of it was just like when they're you know doing all these shutdown orders and stuff like that it was really hard for us to understand why are we doing this if we live in suburban communities where i'm not stacked on top of somebody literally yeah. and figuratively mm-hmm. so it's another one of those things where it's like all right there are people who are suffering uh, again we're both young we both work out, we run, we're very active, we're very healthy. Neither of us have really underlying conditions. So to us, the coronavirus is, does not pose a real threat to us. No, I've been joking, being like, just give it to me. That's, Let me get over that's it. That's the same. Yeah. I mean, and it's, you know, one of those things where I was like, also, my thought process is like, both of us have worked through it. My dad, who's one of our roommates, he works at a hardware store, he's worked through it. Yeah. Um, and we worked through it. Uh, Kansas City had a, uh, mask mandate uh, but we worked what three four months without masks on yeah and I mean we were sa- I'm you were sanitizing stuff I was sanitizing stuff at my job and I'm sure my dad did some sort of routine sanitizing as well but you know we worked for a long time without masks on and with all these asymptomatic cases 
Yeah. Are, are I'm not even sure if I haven't already had it. Yep. So, so yeah, continued that, conversation. I mean, obviously, like you said, 2020 isn't over. Who knows what it holds? And so I think we'll people, see. I think people are using 2020 as a as a real boogeyman. If we want to go on this conversation as well. Uh, yeah, but let's. We've been talking for half an hour. Let's get to the main topic. Let's get to the meat of it all. Yeah. What do you want to talk about? So no way to real transition into this, but uh, um, so. We've spent a lot of episodes talking about uh, just big picture church faith stuff. And I guess we'll still do that a little bit today, but we wanted to get a couple episodes where we got a little more personal. Um, I posted my interviews with friends from Springfield where um, that was more the the vibe of the conversation. Um, so we wanted to have a few episodes that dealt with our specific um experiences of certain things um not to say that that rules the world or that you should take everything we say as gospel um in that or in really anything besides the gospel but i just thought it would be a good way to kind of maybe introduce some of you who don't know us very well to more of who we are as people um and our experiences with um faith and deconstruction and reconstruction so all that being said, we wanted to spend the next few minutes talking about how we've experienced the Bible, basically, um, how it's been a part of our faith journey, and you know how it was for us when we grew up, and then if that's changed, and then how we kind of look at it now. And yeah, so hopefully this will help. Um, maybe people out there who are wrestling with the Bible and you should wrestle with the Bible. If you're not, then I think you're doing something wrong, but we'll get to that later. Um, but yeah, so let's, I guess let's just start the conversation with how did we grow up with it? Um, kind of what was the story that was told to us about the Bible or how do we read it or how are we told to read it? Did we read it? Um, yeah. Do you want me to start? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I grew up, uh, my dad was a pastor, um, at a church. He kind of grew up, he did ministry. He worked for a, uh, organization called Youth for Christ back in the day. Um, and so we grew up, I mean, obviously he worked at a church. We went to church, um, very much a part of my life. Uh, so it seemed obligatory. Um, That's I got a good word to use for it. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny, I mean, you know, we've we've talked a bit about our life stories, but, you know, it really comes out ahead, you know, in high school when you really have to decide who are you going to be. Um, because you're away from your house, middle school and high school, you're away from your house for seven hours a day, and you're given the choices of who you want to be, who you want to come off as, do you want to be, you know, yeah, quiet. Yeah, and you now have, like, large, it almost seems like... Uh much larger influence of peers than yeah. ever before. And so you really have to find, all right, what's the thing I'm going to lean into? Uh, fortunately enough, I was brought up, I mean, when my dad left that church, I continued to go to the youth group there. Um, I had most of my friends were a part of that youth group. So it, it seemed like to keep something consistent in my life through a lot of the changes I was going through at the time to stay within the youth group. Um, and through that, that kind of like fortified a lot of the relationships I have to this day that are now mentorships or really close friends. You know, my you know, youth pastor at the time, uh, him and his wife are basically now my older brother and sister, you know, honorary uh, older brother and sister. And so there's a lot of that. Um, so that's really how I experienced it. And I realized, you know, if you're going to continue to be in a position of leadership in in a youth group if you're going to you know you really have to decide who is jesus going to be to you and fortunately enough i was able to grow in some conversations with people to have really tough conversations at you know 16 17 years old to kind of walk through a little bit of doubt um but that's how it's been introduced to me and how it's can you know stayed the same um, it's always been a real non-negotiable. It turned into an obligatory thing to a non-negotiable. 
um, which is, you know, to say that that's how important it's become in my life, that it affects, you know, every aspect of what I do. Um, when I'm, you know, looking for jobs, when I'm looking for, you know, you know, whether it be relationships or friendships or whatever, it always comes down to, is there a ministry opportunity here? Do these people have like-minded thoughts as me? And if not, am I display, am I displaying that of Christ in those relationships, even if they aren't? Um, which seems, you know, kind of cookie cutter, whatever, but it's important enough to me that it's continued I've, you know, found a new appreciation for how to read the Bible. I found a new appreciation on how to pray, on how to talk to the Holy Spirit. Um, almost, I, I don't want to say to make peace with my sin, because that's not it. You know, that's definitely not it. But to understand how it afflicts me and how it causes that separation. Mm -hmm. um, and to find grace in that. So that's basically how it started, how I've grown up with it. I don't, you know you certainly have a very different story as well. Uh, not necessarily. Uh, well, yeah, my life story is different than yours, but uh, how I grew up with the Bible, I don't think is necessarily different. Uh, I grew up as a missionary kid, so very much uh, I like to think of us missionary kids as a preacher's kids 2.0. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, I, yeah, it was it was definitely a obligatory thing for me. It was uh, you read it, you understand it, you uh, it inspires you. It is inspired. It's infallible. It's incorruptible. It's factual. It's true. It's perfect. Um, and not that I don't uh, still believe those things, but it was very much a uh, necessity, and I still believe it is. Um. Yeah, but I grew up in a family that uh, loved it very much, and so I was taught to love it. Um, I think in pretty in a pretty healthy way, not in a um, Bible bashing, classic um, Baptist kind of way. Um, yeah. I certainly knew people that were like that. Um, so I don't think my view on it really changed <laughs> until like two summers ago. Uh, but um yeah it was oh so here's an interesting um thought with that so how did you grow up being taught to read the bible cuz uh, i was taught in a way that was uh you the classic like pick a book of the bible read a chapter or two of it um pray about it if you're feeling real spiritual like pray through the psalms and which i still think is a great practice but um it was kind of like get your it was in the sense of yes know your bible but what was more underneath that and more explicit and how it was talked about and taught to me to read the bible was look for your daily inspiration before you start anything mm. else yeah i uh... I was never taught how to read the Bible. I was never given specific. The thing I did as a kid was Awana. Yeah, me too. And it was at least when I could. It was, it was based off of uh, memorization. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so as long as you memorized the Bible, you were given rewards for that. <laughs> and thusly, I grew up equating a closer relationship to God with how many Bible verses could you memorize? Yeah. And it's not, you know, I, I just like, there's, there's a lot of problems with that, but there's also, I mean, it's like your kids. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I've heard pastors say they have cut Awana, you know, they've cut, some of these elementary programs because there's no life change in that. Mm -hmm. But they're kids, you know, it's to say like, well, I'm not going to let my kids watch veggie tales because it's like nowhere in the Bible. Does it say that there were vegetables, you know, yeah. Talking sentient vegetables. It's like, well, it's a kid's show, you know? Yeah. 
so but that's like when you grow up with that and you're given rewards or whatever to progress through this program of like all right well if you memorize all these verses you can get a slinky or something cool like you know it's, yeah and it's, then it gets compounded because i knew people and dated people that uh had family members or were involved in uh like competitions for like memorization through one oh my my mom and dad and my sister were all um my dad coached bible quizzing that's a very homeschooled term to throw oh, yeah. out there but oh yeah bible every quizzing. once a month uh on a Saturday, I remember growing up and going to the church and my mom and sister would run the concession stand at uh, Bible quizzing and you'd spend the entire day up at uh, the church and there'd yeah. be Bible quizzing happening. And there's just, I mean, it was. Yeah. And look, I'm not against it. I think it's fine. Uh, if you want to make a game out of it, if, if fine. You're make a game out of a bunch of If you're homeschooling your kids and that's the only athletics they want to do. Uh, in, and it's a good social outlet for them too. I'm sure it is. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to make a definitive statement on that, but I mean, yeah, that's cool. And to some level, I mean, we know uh, we have a uh, pastor named Doug. Yeah, who you can literally, bro, it's fantastic. You can throw out a verse. You can but, like read a verse. You will and read. He can tell you where it he is. He can tell you exactly what verse it is. Or the vice versa of it, you can ask him what's Acts eleven twenty two or whatever, and he'll be like, la, 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 and he'll like say the exact thing. Or could they say, well, in Acts eleven, there's this, there's this thing going on, and da da da, and so like I, it would but be he something does like it, that. And he does it in such a way that it's it's not a, oh, he did it just to do it. It's yeah. like he loves this so much. He's read these things so many times. He's tr- constantly trying to find new things in it that he's memorized the words. Because it's gone through him so many times. I'll, I'll never forget that Chad line from Paradigm where he's like, it's not how many times you go through the Bible. It's how many times the Bible goes through you. Yeah. Where it's like, I, Doug is the embodiment of that. Where it's like, the Bible has gone through this guy so many times in so many different ways and so many different translations. And he's seen it work through so many people that like, it's just a skill he has. You know? Yeah. And hopefully we're going to have Doug on the podcast. Oh, I'd love to have Doug on the podcast. Um, But here's, and yeah, we say, okay, so let's use these examples, right? So we have Doug and we have like Bible quizzing and maybe how we were taught to look at it as like our daily, or at least I was taught to look at it as like daily inspiration. Uh, Here's my thing. Like, awesome. I don't memorize enough scripture. I think if I had it on hand in my head, if I was chewing on it more then it might it'd be better for me uh here's my thing though especially with being raised in that kind of environment is you are uh and like you said about pastors who are like oh well no more wanna because it doesn't cause like growth or spur change or whatever uh the idea that like i get rewarded for just memorizing something and being able to quote it is a little bit problematic because then you associate, um, and this isn't like with everyone. I know people who are involved in this kind of thing who who were like against this mentality, but it it can create a mentality where it's like, oh, it's just a bunch of knowledge that I have, like, and cool because I get rewarded for it, and that's kind of where it stops. Whereas with Doug, it's Hey, I love this so much that I want it to like be a part of me quite literally. And I, that's why I want to know it. Yep. Um, it's a much more, and maybe a good way to ask the question is like, what's your relate? What's our relationship with the Bible? Um, is it just a book of inspiration and knowledge? Um, or, uh, as I've heard it called basic instructions before leaving earth, earth, which I hate that acronym so much. Uh, or is it like, do we actually have a relationship with the text where we chew on it and we wrestle with it and, um, we like deal with it, uh, right. And I think, I, I we can go off on this tangent because this is like kind of where I'm at right now in my life is kind of how it changed for me was, um, 
was from that viewpoint of uh like find your daily inspiration or just read your two chapters and you're good you're filled up for the day and that's what you need you need to get filled up with your two chapters of the bible because how else are you gonna do your thing which i mean i'm not saying that's bad practice but you get my point um and that's a lot of the way actually bonhoeffer uh read the bible which is very very interesting to read about how he ran his uh Bible school because he ran it very monasterily, um, which is fascinating, very much like a monastery because he saw a lot of importance in that practice of uh, sitting with the scriptures, which also is a little different than just finding daily inspiration and memorizing it for sake of memorization. Um, but I think that those viewpoints of daily inspiration or uh, pure memorization make it to where like I can never question the Bible. Mm. And that's kind of how I felt for so long in my life. Cause I was like, well, the Bible is the Bible and I can never question it. And it's just like, I think a, that's completely wrong. Uh, and I think because I had this implicit narrative that, um, the Bible is the foundation of my faith, which, you know, you walked through this with me a couple summers ago, and I have a couple of videos on it um, that I've made, but I'm like, no, Jesus is the foundation of my faith, because without Jesus, I'm not in the family. Mm. Like, there's still, yes, you still have the Old Testament scriptures that prophesy a Messiah, and that story is very, very important. We need to do our best especially as Western Christians, to understand that story better, um, which is another thing I'm learning. But at the end of the day, the more I have conversations with people and the more I think about it, I'm like, man, it, it has to come back to what do I think about Jesus? Because without Jesus, as a Gentile, I'm not in the family. And without Jesus and without me being in the family, then the old story doesn't matter. Yep. And then once that flip got switched of, oh, well, like it's the Bible isn't some house of cards where I question one thing and if it gets pulled and I don't believe it, then like my whole faith comes crumbling down because that's like the anchor of everything. Then I was like, oh man, then A, I love Jesus a lot more than I ever did and ever have. And B, I feel the freedom to actually ask questions of the Bible because my faith isn't dependent upon me a asking too hard of questions or b not having an answer and so it, it just freed me to to not feel like it's some like magical book that fell out of the sky like there's history to this book there's editing there is multiple authors working across thousands of years. And like, we hear that all the time. And we're like, Oh yeah, because it's like, and we have a wrong idea of biblical inspiration, I think, but that's maybe another conversation. Um, but yeah, I just, man, the fact, the like mentality of, I can never question the Bible, I think is asinine to me. I think it's dumb. I think it's the, actually the antithesis of, of, uh, of what, you, we should be doing with the Bible. Um, yeah. <laughs> Do you have any comments on that no, tirade? Think, no, I think that's all good. I mean, especially on a uh, on a podcast episode where we're talking strictly about personal, you know, ways we view the scriptures. I mean, or you know, the way we view our faith. I think it's you know, it's all valid. I th I think the same way. I think it's really. I mean, you could you could break it down to a biblical sense because it's the most tangible thing in Christianity we have. Mm -hmm. uh, but think about pastors. People don't like to disagree with their pastors because they're like, well, if he's saying it, then it has to be true. Yeah. Uh, pastor is just a do uh, just a job title. Um, you know. And we we and that's why we want to have Doug on because we want to talk about what's the role of a pastor. And you know, we I said in the last episode where it's like. Man, if all you do is preach at me for four or five minutes, I don't feel like you're my pastor. There's a, yeah, I mean, and, and 
any any level of ministry is just going to be a job title. It's really what you do with it that makes it an ordained calling, you know, yeah. uh, and that's any job. It, you know, you can you could work as a receptionist of some company and have far more ministry opportunities and preach the gospel so much more completely than someone who is in a lead pastor role at a church. Mm-hmm. It depends on what you do with it. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't think that's to say that, you know, you could say that disagreeing with a pastor is okay because there's people and there's opinions and there's ideologies behind all that. And that's how you can argue it out. But the Bible, because it's printed words on a page, we act as if it's, it's a textbook. Yeah. And yep. Yep. and I can't argue with textbooks because that's where I get They're my They're purely factual, which I yeah. don't believe the Bible is purely factual. We've had this conversation too. No, you read the figuratively parts, you know, figuratively, and you, you read, read the, the literal parts, parts literally. literally. Yeah. I mean, think about, I just read through Acts 15, I believe, where Paul uh, is in, gosh, what city is that? He gets stoned and thrown out of the city, basically left for dead. They think they've killed him. The disciples gather around him. He comes back to life or he wakes up and then goes back into the city to preach. And then he goes back to the cities where the Jews who came to lead the stonings and preach the gospel in those cities as well. And you can read that and you can go, oh, that's really factual. And then, you know, it says something about like, well, this is really, you know, you're like, yes, okay, great. So Paul, this city, this city, this city. But really the point of it is that like, you're given such a calling to preach the gospel and the good gospel that you will turn around to people who are trying to kill you and keep preaching the gospel. Mm-hmm. And if that's what you're supposed to be doing, that's what you're supposed to be doing. And Christ will aid you in security and good health, whatever it may be. You mm-hmm. know, those things are never promised, but clearly in this story they were given. Yeah. Um, but it, it's how, how do you read that? Because if I read it as a textbook, I'm like, okay, well, this is really cool travel documents. But, but if I'm reading it in the mindset of what is it that I'm supposed to get out of this, right? Like, what is it that I'm supposed to learn about Paul getting stoned? Because if I'm going to read through it through factual context and like a factual lens, then I'm sitting here thinking like, well, that kind of sucks. And then he just traveled a bunch and then that was it. Like, that's the chapter. All right, cool. Whatever. But if I'm reading it through the sense of like, all right, what am I supposed to like absorb? Yeah. What's the thing that's really happening behind the scenes here? What's God doing? What's yeah. Christ doing? What's the Holy Spirit doing? And I think that that is super important in understanding reading our Bibles. And this is a big thing that I learned um, even a couple of weeks ago was um, Marty was talking about um, what what do we mean when we say the Bible is inspired? And he said, we need to ask two crucial questions whenever we read any scripture. It's um, what did the writer mean when he wrote it? And what did the hearers hear when they, what did the readers read when they read it? Or what did the hearers hear when they heard it? And maybe when you're talking about prophecy. Right. And he's like, that conversation. So the conversation so that Paul, uh, when he writes to the Galatians, the right? What did Paul mean when he wrote it? What was the context of that letter? And what did the Galatians hear when they heard it? Yep. That is the inspired conversation of Scripture. And now for you to yep. be, like we've talked about with Luther, for you to usurp that and say, well, yep. it matches perfectly because, to this context and, and this thing is to misuse the Bible. And so, again, that's another thing for me is like, I've been like real deep in trying to understand the like historicity and the mindsets of the people who wrote the scriptures, especially the old Testament, because without understanding that, then I think that we misunderstand it. And I guess, some, I guess, however, how he said it that day where it's like that conversation of what they meant when they wrote it. And then what other people heard when they heard it or read when they read it, that conversation is the inspired conversation. And what we do with that conversation then matters, but we need to understand that conversation. So for you to say, well, it's not just some cool travel documentary, but how were things working in that time? How were things for Paul? What was, what's the kind of the story behind the story? 
if I can grasp at those things, then I'm starting to like actually wrestle with the text. Mm. Yeah. I think, yeah. And, and the idea is that we talk about, you know, this was a Bible project episode, but talking about first and second Corinthians are really third and fourth Corinthians because the first Corinthians was a letter that Paul sent to the Corinthians or vice versa. Paul then went to the church of Corinth and was just verbally abused by the leaders of the church of Corinth. Uh, they were very rude to him. So the second Corinthian letter is actually called the letter. I, I Tears, don't know. I don't know. Have in the Bible. Um, do we have a, is there a copy of it? Do you know? Like, that's a good, that's a good thing. I'd love to read it because it's basically Paul's lamenting of how he was treated in Corinth. And then what's really first Corinthians is actually the third Corinthian letter where he writes back to the church of Corinth. And then the second letter, which is actually the fourth <laughs> letter is, is like the follow-up to that, to the third and or first letter. It's a very star Wars way of writing letter of the way they've framed those ideas. But Really, I mean, what you get in those letters is the idea that Paul acts and the Church of Corinth responds. And then Paul acts again and the Church of Corinth responds. Paul acts, the Church of Corinth responds. And really, it's, it's how Tim in the Bible Project said, he's like, if I'm having a conversation between myself and my wife and you're sitting in the room, I'm not going to turn to you and give you context while I'm talking to my wife. It's a conversation between me and my wife. And if you're just happening to be in the corner of the room, we're not going to turn to you and add context to what we're talking about. We're just going to keep talking about it. And it's your job as the reader, it's your job as the listener to just sit and listen and absorb. So when you're getting Paul writes and Corinth responds, you're not supposed to like, like "Uh uh-huh okay interesting interesting okay so i can apply that to this part of my life it's like no 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 no. paul was writing to corinth for a specific issue and corinth responded so what you're supposed to take out of that is perhaps there are things in my life that paul is talking about that are that are similar that are going on in corinth that are either going on in my heart in my church in the way i view other people etc right but you have to take the Church of Corinth's response into mm-hmm. because if they respond in a certain way, you can't say, well, that's how I need to respond because it's instructional. It's a letter. You have to take it as, well, this is how the Church of Corinth responded. These were the outcomes. These are the situational contexts of what was Corinth like back in that day. So how did they respond and how did that maybe upset the things around them? It's, it's a far deeper issue when reading the bible and and i love that tim you know kind of says this in the bible project is like this isn't your grab bag in the letters or in prophecy or you know yeah for inspirational bible quotes and we've talked about this a lot is like the bible's pretty horrible the bible narrative wise would surprise many many people as to how awful it is which is why when i hear People talk about like, oh, this is the end times, you know, coronavirus, war and all this stuff. I'm like, you have zero idea. I mean, there's a whole story in the Bible that we just love to talk about. How they were literally about to chop a baby in half because they couldn't figure out which one was the real mother. Can you imagine if that happened today? The social outcry would be astronomical. (laughs) And this was just like, nope, this is how we're going to do it. Like, this is normal life. And everyone's like, okay, I, this king's on to something here. Well, he's going to chop this kid in half or the real mother's going to come forward and say that he shouldn't do that. And it's like, all right, cool. So when we're talking about biblical importance, significance. To read your own context. To read context into certain situations, it's not helpful. Because you're really peace. Yeah, and that's where it becomes where people yeah, like so to say right. that the Bible is contradictory to itself is because you've tried to read context into it. And so you're right. If you try to read context into something that's not there, then you have an issue if another Bible verse comes up and it could be used against you 
because you were reading context. If someone can read context, yeah. Into if we just want to pull and read, or their and argument, say, here's this verse about this thing. To read I can make the Bible say it. whatever I want. Well, think about this. Uh, we like to talk about, you know, yeah, biblicality or you know what yeah. is and isn't biblical. We forget that Satan quoted scripture to Jesus as a means to tempt him. So it should not be a mean like and and what was Satan doing? He was taking verses out of context yeah. to try to tempt Christ. The most extreme example of that is given. Mm. As almost like a mm. danger call. It's like if you don't read these specifically, you will find yourself in a place that you are not supposed to be. And it will be used against you. Something that is your only I I remember, you know, my friend Jeremy was so what preaching happens one day when and he said, you know, the word of God is in the armor of God the only offensive yeah. tool we have. Mm-hmm. And what happens when that is used against you? There's no there's nothing else. That's how tricky this is. That's how complex it is. That the that the enemy, if that's what you want to call yeah. it, in the very Baptist sense of the word, you know, can you use the that very thing against you is scary. But it's also it needs to shed light on the importance of yeah. that thing. And if Satan like, can use it just to like his as own we were benefit, talking earlier in the episode it's important. about you know the other things that are going on across the like the country and in the world right now, it's like you can't just take this and make it one thing. Like there's a lot of stuff going on when you read the Bible. There's a lot of things behind the scenes and to just discount that and say, well, that doesn't matter because it doesn't fit my frame. Uh, right. We've, we've, as a group started to use the, the phrase, uh, I like what you're saying, but I don't like your frame. Um, and it's like, well, okay, but that doesn't fit my frame if I look at it this way. And it's like, then maybe you need to change your frame. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I want to end, like, what I have to say about this in any way, it's um, the right. kind of the where I'm at right now with uh, scripture with the Bible is, you know, I've talked about how I feel willing to question it and willing to wrestle with it. Is uh, and we had a long conversation about this the other night, um, where it's like I feel like because we look at it as like get your daily inspiration uh, or like read your couple of chapters, a couple of verses, um, you know, within this book and finish that book and then pick another one to read through. At least that's how I was taught to read the Bible uh, was we lose the forest for the trees and we lose the story that God is trying to tell. I think in, in a lot of ways. Right. And I and it hit me one night. We were at Sunday night group and I was just like Marty was talking about like the importance mm. of knowing the story. And um three questions that we ask every week in this group is um and they're variations of like questions that Marty asks in Bema is um what problems or what is the story trying to tell us? What problems do we have with the story? And do we trust the story that God is trying to tell? But we can't wrestle with those questions and we can't answer those questions if we don't know the story. So the big thing for me as of late has been, man, how much do I know the the story that God has told and the story that God is trying to tell? Um, Rather than just being able to quote a bunch of verses about it. Because if I do that, then I can look at them in their proper context, in their proper inspired form, and then say, okay, here's what's going on. And because I'm familiar with the story, I can ask not only um, the important question of did this happen or how do I think this happened, but is this happening to me? Um, And it's just become vile for me to know the story and then be able to wrestle with it and be able to say, look, I don't need to understand all of it. Look, I don't need, I don't need to fix all the inconsistencies and, like tie them all up in a nice bow because that's not how it's not how it works. So why do we expect our Bibles to work that way? And I guess I just want to, if, if anything, give people the freedom right. to wrestle with the Bible. Cause I think you should. And I think if you stop, I think 
that something's wrong. I think you're not really reading it. I think you're being dishonest. So yeah, I just, how I view yeah. the Bible, I, I want to wrestle with it and I want to understand the story more than just the verses themselves. Um, and actually look at it as something to be contended with, I guess. Um, so that's all I have to say. Do you have any closing statements? I have no closing statements. I was literally going to say the same thing. Yeah. I, we have well, exhausted the topic. As always, thanks for listening. I think uh, that's good. I'm your host, Luke Byler. You can find me on Instagram and uh, on, I even forgot my own yeah. outro. It's a, on Instagram and on Twitter at Luke underscore Byler 816. You can follow the Belfast podcast at Belfast podcast on Instagram and Facebook. You can email us at Belfast pod at, yeah, at Belfast podcast at gmail.com. Um, please leave us a rate and a review on iTunes. It would help us out a bunch. Um, maybe if we get to a certain point, we'll start reading some of those. That would be a lot of fun. Um, but as always, thank you very much for listening. D, you want to let them know where they can find you if they want? Yeah, yeah I'm on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Dimitri Lash, D-I-M-I-T-R-Y-L-A-S-H. Um, uh, don't think yep. I'm on Hopefully Facebook. more to come and uh, interesting guests no, to come too. Find me on there. Uh, been a pleasure. First one in the new house. So they always mean well. They always say there's more to it. Look at the details. They always say they going through it. Life is a female. Dog, that would be me. She said, let's go to Hong Kong, but I'm only 18. Ain't got money for Hong Kong. If she'd have asked me last year, I'd have been long gone. Cause we all dogs, and I hope we all go to heaven. I promise we had it all wrong, circa 2007.